unlike Revit, where like it's literally the software that's handcuffing you and making you think in certain ways. Whereas ARCHICAD, yeah, it's like I can I can do it however I want. I can I can build an object out of a morph. I can build it out of a a, a roof. I can build it out of a wall, a floor. Like I can do like whatever I want. I can imagine whatever world I want and create it pretty easily. This is Inside the Apple Studio, the podcast that details the intersection of architecture and Apple and explores how architects and other design professionals use Apple products in the practice of architecture. With your host, architect Neil Pam. Support for Inside the Apple Studio comes from Monograph. Monograph is the cloud-based practice operations solution built for architects by architects. Learn how Monograph can help you be more productive at monograph.com. Inside the Apple Studio is also supported by ArcIT. ArcIT is an IT provider that specializes in serving Mac and PC-based architecture and design firms. For a free consultation, go to getarcit.com. Welcome to Inside the Apple Studio. I'm excited to have an architect that sees the world differently than most and brings an alternative perspective to how he practices architecture. I'm pleased to welcome David Clayton to the show. Thank you for joining me. Uh, thank you, Neil. Well, let's start our conversation with having you talk about how you see the world differently and how that gives you an alternative perspective on practicing architecture. Yeah, so I'm I'm sure you're referring to the uh, the name of my um, YouTube channel, the Colorblind Architect, and um, I am actually colorblind. I've uh, I've always been colorblind, and it, it's it's not like a severe colorblindness. It's like I, I can still see colors. It's just uh, as my wife will attest, um, I definitely don't see colors the the way everybody else does because um, like when we first got married, I was driving a silver. Uh, Honda Passport at the time. Uh, this was back uh, in the late 90s, early 2000s. And uh, I kept on calling it a blue. And <laughs> she was she would just laugh at me and be like, dude, it's it's like silver. And I'm like, it is? <laughs> <laughs> well, over over time, you know, you know, I I would and and obviously those little color dot tests, I would always fail those anytime I uh, took those in school when I was younger. And so I kind of knew that I was colorblind. It's just, I didn't want to admit it. And then, you know, as time, as time moved on, I, I eventually just kind of settled into the fact that, yeah, this is just who I am. This is the, just the way I see the world. And yeah, I, I'm not going to trust myself to pick your interior design palette. Um, I'm going to hire an interior designer for you. Or um, if, if, if maybe I really need to choose the colors, I will say to my wife, hey, here are the colors I'm thinking of. Can you check it against the this? Right, right. <laughs> and, and she'll just confirm like, oh, okay, yeah, those look terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Usually I'm pretty bad. So um, so typically I'll, I'll wear a lot of grays and blacks. Um, it's not just because I'm an architect. I know that, I know that wearing black shirts is kind of like the unofficial architect uniform, but uh no, I do it because I just typically don't like to trust myself with color. Um, <laughs> but 
I actually do love color. Um, so the reason why I started the the YouTube video though, that was kind of a, that was kind of a, a, a reaction of sorts. I mean, I had been wanting to do some kind of YouTube or, or podcast, uh, presentation for a long time. And I just never really had a reason to, uh, or like didn't really have a good, uh, a good handle on it. And then, um, especially after the uh, George Floyd incident happened, um, there was a ton of talk about race relations. And um, there was a lot of people talking about, um, you know, how we, we can no longer be colorblind. And there was, there was a part of me that's like, no, I, I, I feel like I need to speak out and say, no, it, it's okay to be colorblind. It, it's more important to see the character of the individual. That's, that's always been my, my mantra is I don't care where you're from, like what race you are, what religion you are. I, you know, I don't care if you're straight or gay. Like, I don't want to get into that. I want to know what's your character. Like, who are you? Who are you as a person? I want to know your backstory like when I'm working with a client, I mean, I've had clients of every race, every, um, you know, every religion, you know, I I've worked with Muslims. I've worked with gay people. I've worked with, uh, Asians. I've worked with whites. I've worked with blacks. I mean, to me, it it doesn't really matter. Right. Mm -hmm. And so the, the name colorblind architect was largely a response to the fact that I am actually colorblind, but also, that's my philosophy is that I, I don't want to look at the surface characteristics of somebody. I want to get to know them as a person. Sure. And, and to a certain extent, that's, that's also how I see architecture. I, I, I don't get caught up with the styles. Mm -hmm. That's something that always bothered me how a lot of people would be just so obsessed with, Oh, it needs to be, we, we, we need to make it modern or we need to make it, make it a uh, traditional style or, you know, like the, the, there's people that have these really strong opinions about style. And to me, I've always, I've always thought that's just the surface treatment, the guts of the building, the, the actual flow, the, the way that the, the way the spaces interact with each other, the, the experience that the, that the occupant has as they walk through a building, as they inhabit a building, mm -hmm. that to me is far more important than what lick and stick brick is attached to the building. Yeah. And so it, I, and, and, and so I guess in a way, yeah, the colorblind architect philosophy of mine that's kind of developed over the years and it's still developing, obviously is kind of that, um, that I care more about what's, what's the, what's the core essential um, properties and yeah. not just the surface characteristics the experience of the architecture. Mm -hmm, exactly. Okay. Well, let's go back a little bit and talk a little bit about what inspired you to become an architect in the first place. Uh, I mean, I know this is cliche, but Legos. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, I mean, obviously I played with Legos a lot as a kid, but um, no, I, I remember, I remember really, really clearly. I was about five years old. When I, when I, w the first time I remember drawing floor plans, um, I, I was always fascinated with anything construction. My mom would actually, she, she actually still tells the story of like when I was, you know, four or five years old and a neighbor across the street had rented a, um, 
uh, a piece of equipment, you know, a, a, a caterpillar machine, you know, like uh, a backhoe. And they were doing uh, work in their front yard. And she said that I sat there the entire day on the street curb, just watching my neighbor across the street. I didn't even get up for food. And, (laughs) you know, I don't remember that specific experience because I I guess I was too young for that. But I do remember as young as five drawing up floor plans of like, you know, oh, this is how I want my my future house to be. And, you know, like I'd be drawing, oh, here's the bedroom, here's the kitchen and stuff like that. Um, And so a a couple of years later, my dad got me um, a copy of AutoCAD LT. Um, uh-huh. my dad was big into computers. Um, he, he's actually a computer, he did computer repair. Okay. And so, um, I always had a computer in the home, uh, as young as three, it was an 8086, okay. uh, an IBM. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, he would, uh, so he got me that and I would play around with it and I would basically draw floor plans. Like that was, that was like my video game. That was that's what, what what I really enjoyed doing. Inspired so, by the Legos yeah, <laughs> as well. And, and then obviously I would build a lot with Legos. And yeah, it was just, that was my world, you know, blocks and Legos and, and AutoCAD. <laughs> so Now, did you continue that into high school, like taking some drafting classes and things? I did. I, I took a drafting, I took a drafting class in high school. And at the time, I was actually, I think, I think I was actually one of the last years uh, at my high school where they were allowing, uh, well, where, where they were still teaching the drafting by hand. Okay. So I consider myself extremely lucky that I was, um, I was trained in drafting in high school to actually use the pencil with the parallel bar, the triangles, all that stuff. Uh And, you know, I, I think that really helps me, uh, especially when translating to the computer and understanding like, the the deeper geometry that's with, you know within mm-hmm. and not just I, I think I think CAD makes it a little bit too easy. Talk about that a little bit. Too easy in what way? Um, just that you you can make you can make all kinds of shapes with AutoCAD pretty easily. You you don't necessarily have to follow any geometric rules. Whereas if you're drafting if you're drafting with a parallel bar and and triangles, um. It really forces you to construct the geometry from, you know, using geometric rules, right? You can't just draw a circle. You have to actually use the compass, right? Or if you want to do an ellipse, you have to actually construct the ellipse from the, you know, the, 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 the different lines and the, and the, the focus points and the angles and all that. Right. Right. I mean, it's been a while, so I'm, I'm probably, probably couldn't remember to do it right now if I had yeah. to, but, um, but you know what I mean? It's like, you can't just grab the ellipse tool and, you know, click two points like you can in AutoCAD. Yeah. Um, so that, that, that's basically what I mean by that. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Actually. I think there's a, a, a certain tie to the process that you go through when you're drafting by hand and there's a, um, and maybe it's a little bit slower, maybe a different thought process. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe, you know, there's probably lots of people that argue against that, I guess, but, uh, yeah. And, and that's one of the reasons why, you know, I, I still, especially early on in a project, I'll, I'll, 
I'll do some sketches on paper. It's not the same thing as drafting, but I think there's, there's something beautiful about being able to hold a pencil in your hand and draw on a piece of paper. Mm -hmm. Um, Ideas flow in a different way than they do when you're on a computer. Yeah, I'd agree. And I think, and I think you still need both though. You, You can't, you can't live in just one world. You have to, you have to live in both worlds because the the difference in the way your mind processes the information and um, and activates different parts of your brain, um, it creates different levels of creativity, different types of creativity that then informs you as you're creating a design. Yeah, yeah, they're they're each different tools and they each have their uses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. After high school. You went on to get a master's in architecture at uh, Virginia Tech. What drew you to Virginia Tech? <laughs> well, uh, I had been wanting to go to Virginia Tech uh, for a long time. I had visited Virginia Tech um, at, in high school um, as part of my college tour. And gosh darn it, they didn't, they didn't accept me. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Not my freshman year. Uh, so I actually ended up going to BYU. Um, I grew up a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and mm-hmm. my mom was really insistent, you got to at least apply. And okay. I was so frustrated by it because I was like, no, no, I, I don't want to go to freaking Utah. I mean, it's like all <laughs> Mormony there. I, 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 I don't like religion and stuff because, you know, I'm, I'm a teenager, right? Sure. And then she's like, well, you do realize they have really great skiing. I'm like, what? Is this, you got to remember, this was back before YouTube, back, back when, yeah. you know, this was in the 90s. You know, it's like you, you had to look at an encyclopedia to look up information, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I had no clue what Utah was like. I mean, in my mind, I was picturing Iowa. <laughs> so, <laughs> Shout out so, to our Iowa listeners. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing wrong with Iowa. <laughs> it's just it's really flat and boring. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. Send your emails to David Clayton. Thank you very much. <laughs> and 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 a lot of mosquitoes. Um, I just remember driving through Iowa in the summertime in a Penske truck with no air conditioning when we moved back to Utah after uh, Virginia Tech, and yeah, it was it was just a miserable experience that part of the drive. Okay. So, <laughs> so no no offense to anybody in Iowa, just. <laughs> I, it was just a bad experience in a Penske truck. Okay. <laughs> so, but uh, anyways, so she, she tells me about the skiing. And of course I was, I, I loved, I loved to ski. I mean, I, I started when I was 12 um, going skiing in West Virginia. Um, that That's where we would usually go skiing. And so she convinces me to at least go out and have a try. I went to Alta Ski Resort, fell in love with the the skiing up here in Utah. And I was like, okay, I'll go to BYU. So it was a good thing I did because when I got back from my mission, uh, you know, for the church, because I served, I served a mission uh, to the Philippines. Okay. And when I got back, um, I met my wife. Okay. And it worked out great. Um, So then after I finished up my bachelor's, um, I still wanted to go to Virginia tech. So I applied and waited and waited and waited. No response. Oh, no. Eventually it's like already may right before the fall semester. 
Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm like freaking out because I was thinking there should at least be like a denial letter. Yeah. So I actually called them up. Turns out they had screwed up and the application was stuck in between the architecture school and the graduate school. And they, and it was just like, it got misplaced. Oh no. So the Dean actually looked at my application and calls me up the very next day and said, you're accepted. Oh, that's great. (laughs) I was like, I was like like on cloud nine, of course, because I'm like dream come true. I go to the school that I really wanted to go to. And it was absolutely um, three years of the best education um, I've had in my life. I really appreciated the uh, professors there at Virginia Tech, um, especially that dean. Uh, Hans Rote was his name. Okay. Um, I, 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 I haven't checked in to see if he, how he's doing since, but, uh, uh, cause the last time I saw him was in 2007, but, and just a really, really good guy looks, looks, uh, my, my wife jokes and calls him, uh, calls him the Austrian Santa Claus because <laughs> he was like, because <laughs> he was like this older guy with like the, with the beard and like all, you know, a little bit tubby and just, yeah. you know, has this demeanor looking like he's really sweet, but he's actually a real hard ass. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, but uh, yeah, he was, he was a great uh, professor to learn from. And um, there, there were several others that I really greatly enjoyed. Um, got deep into uh, different philosophies, different, uh, you know, theories of architecture. And it was great. I mean, and, you know, I always, it was funny because I always felt like I was, you know, not as good as some of the other students. I mm-hmm. always felt like I was having to, you know, up my game to improve the level of quality. And, uh, and I think it was something that really helped me um, become a better person and a better architect as a result of being in such an elite uh, architecture school. Yeah. So after you graduated back in the Pensky, Pensky truck back to Utah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so at the time, uh, at the, t- at the time in 2007, so the economy was doing pretty good. So we figured, okay, we can get a job anywhere. So where do we want to live? And my yeah. wife and I, we talked for a long time trying to think about what the positives and negatives of different areas of the country were. And eventually we're just like, you know what? We love skiing. Mm-hmm. We, we love hiking. How about being a place where you can do do those things on the same day as you're working. Yeah. And Salt Lake City is basically the only place in the country where you can actually go to the office and also go skiing the same day. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So, and that's what I do. I mean, like during ski season, um, usually mo- first thing in the morning, I'll uh, head on up the mountain, go skiing at Solitude or Alta or, or, or one of those resorts up there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then by lunchtime, I'm off the slopes. I'm back at the office and getting getting work done. Yeah, well, that sounds like a great work day. <laughs> it is, and uh, I, as I call it, my Alta conference room. Uh, so I take uh, I even take uh, conference calls uh, while I'm <laughs> on the uh, mountain. But I, I do have to be careful. Sometimes, like the wind noise gets a little bit much, so I have yeah. to. I have to pull off into a gladed run and maybe like just hide behind a tree for a little bit, just to shield from the wind and, right, you know, right. 
<laughs> and sometimes people will catch the wind noise and be like, Dave, are you skiing again? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So when you move back to Utah, you've worked for a few different firms at first, and then mm-hmm. you created one of your own. What was it like the different firms you worked for and, and what did you learn at each different one? Yeah, so my uh, first firm after working at, uh, after going to Virginia Tech was um, Architectural Nexus. They're based in Salt Lake City. They actually have a Sacramento, California office as well. Okay, I worked there nice for about, me. yeah, I worked there for about five years. Um, got a lot of really good training from, uh, from my mentor who was uh, a principal there at the time. He's now moved on to another firm, but uh, uh, it was it was a good experience for me, and uh, then they um, then the uh, NSA data center uh, when it was being uh, designed uh, for here here in uh, Utah. I was on the design team for that, and they the principal in charge of the project assigned me to be the quality control person because um, with Corps of Engineer projects you're required to have a um, a person who's specifically assigned to be the, uh, the QAQC, mm-hmm. but they can't actually do any of the design work. Interesting. Well, unfo- okay. unfortunately, uh, there just wasn't enough QAQC work to keep me fully busy all the mm-hmm. time. So I spent a lot of time working on CAD standards or Revit standards at the time, you know, it was, it was a Revit office mm-hmm. and, um, you know, just to fill the time because I'm like, what else am I going to do? I talked to the principal, asked him for additional projects. And he, he said, no, we need to make sure that you're 100% available anytime we need you for, uh, for the data center project. I'm like, okay, but my productivity numbers are falling because of it. Well, that came, that came back to be prescient because uh, mm. when, when a round of layoffs came off and they laid off 10% of the workforce at the firm, because my productivity numbers were below the line. Yeah. I was axed. So, um, so that's when I, that's when I was desperately searching for other work. And, um, during that time period, I was when I decided to start my business because I figured, okay, I'm licensed now. I, I guess I can do this. And, um, I had a friend bring me a project. And so I figured, okay, well, I'll at least do this while I'm trying to find another job and um, ended up actually getting another job in the meantime, kept the business running during that because it wasn't, it was like maybe a few hours a week. So it right. wasn't, wasn't anything worth bothering about. Uh, went to work for FFKR Architects in Salt Lake City as well. Um did some did a lot of car dealerships and um and uh movie theaters and mm-hmm. then eventually some uh temples for the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints um mm-hmm. helped out on the philadelphia temple which was um that was an amazing project but uh uh you know the team was so large that i got assigned ceilings so <laughs> literally for four months i was drawing nothing but ceiling you know, crown molding details and stuff. Wow. <laughs> so it was like, it was a big, and so it's funny when I, when I tell people who are members of the church, um, 
you know, that I was on that team, they get all excited. They're like, oh, that's such a beautiful temple. You must have had such a great time. I'm like, actually, I hated that project. It was, it was horrible. <laughs> it was so boring. But the crown moldings are really nice. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. I, I like, yeah, we went, we went and toured it when the, uh, when the uh, construction was complete as a family, uh, because of course my mom was thrilled because she's like, my son designed the temple. so we go we go tour through it and as i'm walking through i'm looking everybody else is looking around at like the carpet the the walls and stuff and i'm just staring at the ceilings like yeah i remember that detail (laughs) yep i remember that detail oh boy do i remember that detail (laughs) but you had a part in it (laughs) you had a part yeah yeah i had a part in it and you know it did turn out really beautifully and you know it was a great team to work with it just yeah it was it was, a, it was just a bit mind numbing. That was the only problem. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Interesting. But, uh, yeah. Shortly after that, um, the, you know, I, I started getting more and more projects on the side. I talked to my boss at the time about it and I'm just like, Hey, I like this job. I'm willing to bring these projects in. And they're like, yeah, but we're not interested in those projects. They're, they're not, they're not in our wheelhouse. And so I think you're just going to need to make your choice. Like, do you, do you want to be in business for yourself or do you want to, you know, be here? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, I guess I'm going to jump, take the leap. And so I did. And, you know, obviously, you know, we struggled a bit, you know, you know, it was, it was tough in general with, um, you know, having, having gotten employed shortly before the uh, great recession, and yeah. then, of course, as as we're coming out of the recession, here I am taking the leap and quitting my job <laughs> full time with my business. So it was like it was it, it was a very risky financial choice, but um, it ended up working out. Ended up making, um, you know, getting some getting some decent projects. And I never really had to market. That was the weird part. Mm-hmm. It just people would keep just bringing me projects. Nice. Which, on the flip side, it meant that I wasn't really choosing my market segment. It just it was just what came. Yeah. So I ended up doing a lot of industrial flex spaces and um, you know, like little crappy uh, home additions. You know. Yeah. Uh, you know, at, scabbed onto a 1970s split level house. You know. Sure. <laughs> so, you know, I'm I'm sure we've all done stuff like that because some. Of the, who hasn't had a client with a split level house who wants an addition, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just, especially here in Utah. It's like they, they grow like they, they grow like poppies in the field. You know? Okay. Interesting. <laughs> the split level houses are everywhere. So, so how long did you continue working for yourself? Uh, so I, uh, yeah, so I was working for a few years at that and then eventually um, had a, had enough work that I um, hired on a, a drafter and then hired on a second drafter and, you know, got, a, got to the point where we're, we were four of us, but mm-hmm. unfortunately, um, unfortunately things didn't quite work out well enough. I didn't see, I didn't read the tea leaves right and, and fire them when I should have mm-hmm. kept paying them and ended up going you know, fairly deep into debt, paying their salaries, uh-huh. thinking that, you know, I have all these projects, they're going to pay, they're going to pay. And this developer client that I had, 
totally stiffed me. They oh. just ghosted totally. And um, so I was left holding the bag and ended up uh, having to drop everything, you know, fire all my employees and close up shop. Um, so I moved the, bus- the business back home and um, just started the process of recovery. And one of my clients that um, was not only aware of this problem because, you know, it'd become an issue with, um, it'd become an issue on one of their projects where, you know, their project was delayed because of this financial trouble, mm-hmm. um, you know, having to fire the workers, right? Yeah. Um, they uh, they called me up in February. Well, no, actually, they hired me to do a to do a a, a large apartment project for them um, in November of ni- 2019. Mm-hmm. And then in February, they called me up while I'm on a, on the ski slopes, mm-hmm. and they're like, "Dave, we I, I want to offer you a job." And mm-hmm. at the time, I was thinking. Yeah, but I love my freedom. I love I I love the fact that you know running you know running my business out of my house. I I was actually finding ways to be a lot more efficient with the software, with the computers, um, and just getting to where I I realized I didn't need the employees. You know, necessarily, I could get a lot of the work done. I just had to work extra hours, mm-hmm. but you know, it was worth it to not have that stress of making sure that I was getting somebody's paycheck paid. Um, it was just something I really didn't like having to do that. It it wasn't that I didn't want to, it was that it was a constant struggle, um, to keep up with the payroll. Yeah. Um, because flow, as, as you might know, if you know, running a business, you know, it's like, you don't have, you don't always have the, the money coming in from clients at the same time that you need to make payroll. Right, and so you need that line of credit in order to make the payroll, right? So, anyways, he offers me the job, and I think I think about it a bit, and I, and I eventually come to the decision. You know what? Why not? You know, this, this sounds like a it sounds like it would be a really good thing to have a good solid um, a good solid regular um, paycheck. And, um, I even talked to some, some of my other clients and said, Hey, if I accept this job, obviously I'm, you know, I'm not going to be able to service you in quite the same way. They're like, sounds to me like this is a really good opportunity for you, Dave. You need to take it. Uh, And so like (laughs) even coming from a client, it was like, yeah, you know, I was like, wow, um, that's, that's impressive that they, they cared enough about me to, you know, you know, have my best interest. So it actually worked out great because my first day of work was um, in March of 2020, uh, signed up, signed all the HR stuff. And then I went skiing. Um, Very next day, everything locked down due to COVID. (laughs) So for the next several months, here I am working from home, but drawing a paycheck. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm like, so wait, before I was working from home, now I'm still working from home and, but now I've got a paycheck Yeah, <laughs> and I don't have to worry about whether or not clients are paying me on time yeah. so that I can make my mortgage payments. Right. Yeah. And so it actually, be, it was actually like just a wonderful blessing for me. Um, 
And so I'm, I'm really grateful for, to my employer. They, they've also been very flexible with allowing me to sort through the, you know, working through the existing projects that I had and, you know, and, you know, just balancing my time and everything. So it, it's yeah. been a really good, it's been a really good relationship. And as we're, as we've gotten further, uh, I, I think, We've got some really exciting things coming down the pike that uh, we're we're developing because uh, you know part of the job is uh, heading up the uh, modular uh, accessory dwelling unit uh, business, um, the architectural side of it, and making sure that our plan sets are good and that we do the site specific ones for you know for AHJ approvals. But um, the other side of the business was to start up a commercial development. Uh, company. And so that's one of the things that we're doing is developing apartment projects. Um, and it's just so much fun. I, I, I've, I've never had so much fun. That's great. Well, you've had uh, a pretty amazing architectural journey that you've shared with us. It's definitely not what I imagined when I went into the, uh, you know, went into the architecture school. I always thought it was going to be, you go into the firm, you you, you work diligently at the firm and then someday you get the tap and you're like, okay, we want to make you a partner, you know, like yeah. that kind of thing. No, no, for me, it was never like that. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> so your vision of what maybe when you were playing with Legos or I should say maybe not that far back, but when you're working through architecture school, you had a vision of what the profession would be like. And it, it certainly hasn't turned out that way. no. And, and honestly, I never really fit into, you know, like, I never really fit into the firms anyways. Um, I've always been a bit of a rebel. Um, you know, it's just, I'm just a, you know, like the way my mind thinks, I just, I, I don't fit into bureaucratic structures. And anytime you have more than three people in an office, there's a bureaucracy, um, yeah. so to speak. Um, and especially at some of the larger, at some of the larger firms, there's a lot of jockeying for power. There's a lot of backstabbing that goes on. I was completely oblivious to it when I was working at Nexus, for example. Um, and my wife kept on saying, Dave, you realize they're backstabbing you. I'm like, what What are you talking about? Like, yeah, some of your coworkers, they're, 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 they're stabbing you in the back. I'm like, what? And like, and to me, it just didn't process because that's just not the way I think. I, I don't think about like power or, you know, like it, it, I have absolutely no desire to have any power or control over anybody. I don't want to, you know, I, I don't care about like hierarch- hi- hierarchical systems. I'm just like, no, nah, I it just, I do my work. Right. Yeah. And unfortunately, yeah, in larger firms, you're going to have some people who try to take advantage of others and, you know, they'll, they'll jockey and they'll position, they'll, they'll kiss, they'll, they'll kiss butt and stuff and, you know, try to position themselves. And I'm just not that kind of person. I'll, I'll, I'll out and out tell somebody, you know, that their idea is stupid, you know, because, you know, it's like. I'd I'd rather be honest than to be, you know, um, what's the word, um, you know, two faced. Yeah. Well, David, I appreciate you sharing that with us and sharing your experience and passion for what you do. 
Let's take a short break. And after we'll explore your experience with the Mac and Apple products. Okay. Thanks. Architects, how do you manage your firm? Are you using dated and clunky software? Are you frustrated using different spreadsheets and never really getting a clear view of the status of your projects? Then let me tell you about Monograph because they can help. Monograph is online software that is designed by architects for architects. It allows you to track your time, your projects, and your budgets. It can not only track all of this, but it can do it all in real time. Monograph has an awesome tool called Money Gant. With it, you can immediately see whether you are under or over budget on a project. Monograph also comes with a tool called Resource, which allows you to reallocate your team's time and track its impact on your remaining budget. Using this powerful tool, you can easily adjust your projects on a week-to-week basis. Can your dated and clunky software do that? Monograph makes this easy. Check out all the ways Monograph can help your firm be more productive at monograph.com and be proactive with Monograph. Welcome back. Well, David, you've shared your professional journey. Now let's discuss how you started using a Mac and other Apple products. How were you first exposed to the Mac? Uh, Okay, so my first exposure to Apple in general was in elementary school with the Apple IIe, you know, the green screens, playing uh, Oregon Trail, of course. But my the first the first time I ever uh, used a Macintosh um, in middle school, I had a I had a good friend. Um, he uh, he and his family had immigrated from Bangladesh, mm-hmm. and uh, really smart kid. And we we got along great because we both loved Star Trek, and so we were like um, you know just nerding out over over all that stuff. And he he actually had uh, he actually had the um, the Star Trek Enterprise E um, technical manual. Uh, uh-huh. I guess somebody had published that book years years ago when uh, the Next Generation was um, was on air, and uh, so we would pour through that manual. We we we'd be theorizing about how you how you do warp drive and stuff. <laughs> and true to his form, he actually ended up going to MIT studying theoretical physics. So. He, he he was an awesome awesome um person to be friends with but uh and you know and it's funny because you know someone that smart you know has trouble making friends and uh-huh. I, but for me i i just i obviously gravitated to, towards him because i saw hey i can actually have a smart discussion and not talk about football i mean it's uh-huh. nothing wrong with football but it's like i you know, it's like, okay, great. Okay. Man carries ball. Okay. Wonderful. <laughs> what, what's this about? What's this about warp drive theory? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, that's, that's something that's way more interesting to me. So he had the classic Mac, you know, the original, right? Yeah. And, and granted it was already like 10 years old at the time. Cause you know, it was like, this is the early nineties. Um, so, you know, we're, we're playing around with that and, you know, and that was kind of my first, um, introduction to the apple world um years later when i was in school i uh i i was able to i i was able to buy the uh the titanium app uh macbook pro yeah uh if you remember the titanium one uh that was my first mac that i owned for myself and i was so excited because it was such a beautiful machine and 
um, just everything about it just got me so excited. And then lines started appearing in the screen. And back then, Apple Care was not nearly as good as it is now. Mm-hmm. And I would I called up Apple and they basically gave me the shaft and like I, I was so mad. So like for three years I'm using this laptop with like a, a pink line going across the screen. Mm-hmm. So I was I was so mad because it was like a two thousand dollar machine. I was like, ah, yeah, <laughs> I'm a college student I can't afford to you know just go out and replace this. Yeah, so. And and then I and then I switched back to Windows for a while, um, just because I was I was so mad at the that 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 one line across the screen. Um, I just so I I went with a uh, HP and then with a Dell and um, yeah, started started realizing why I didn't like those because mm-hmm. you had to because uh, to get those those more higher performing laptops you they would run so hot that you would actually have to like prop it up on like a, so I'd take like an architect scale and stick it up behind the Dell laptop to prop it up. So that there was enough airspace behind it so that you could actually, you know, keep it cool. Right. And then, then, you know, I even built like my own lap desk so that I could, you know, keep it off my, cause it would like literally burn my lap. Yeah. And so finally when I was just like, I was done with it. And I was like, okay, I need to go back to a MacBook. And so my next, my met, uh, my next map, uh, MacBook was the 20, the late 2016 one that, that I bought myself. And I was so happy about that. Um, you know, it still runs a little hot cause it was the uh, Intel, but it was still way better than, uh, any of the windows ones. Yeah. And I used that up until just two weeks ago when I picked up this M1 pro. Yeah, now you uh, recently upgraded to the new uh, MacBook Pro, uh, the the twenty twenty one model with the M one Pro processor. I I think it was. Yeah. So you waited almost five years to upgrade. What's been your impression of the new MacBook Pro? Uh, I I am in love with it. I I am just amazed at how fast and responsive it is. The keyboard is fantastic. The sound is great. The the, the graphics on the screen are stunning. Like I, I've never seen a screen so good uh, as this. And so, I mean, in general, my only complaint is I didn't get enough RAM. And the only reason why I didn't get enough RAM was I had because of because of where where things were financially. Uh, you know, because aforementioned uh, issues with the business debt, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I my credit score has not been the greatest. So, um, I don't use credit cards anymore. And so I had to make sure I actually had the cash in the bank. By the time I had the cash in the bank to actually purchase it, the waiting list was already eight weeks for any of the 32 or 64 gig models. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, you know what? I still, I, I still want to get it. So I'm going to get it and I'll just sell it on eBay once I can get the the nicer one. Yeah. And, um, yeah, the, the the RAM limitations are real. Not too bad though. I mean, like I I've actually been really surprised because of how fast the swap disk uh, function is. Uh, because mm-hmm. the SSD is just so fast on this, you, you hardly notice it. Yeah. And so the most I've gotten up to was like twenty gigs of a swap file. Um, mm-hmm. 
but most of the time I'm not getting into the swap file uh, because most of the models that I'm working with are smaller models. And if, if I do need to open up a larger model, I just, you know, use the uh, iMac pro that I have at the office. I see. Okay. So professionally you are still using a Mac for your current, you know, in your current job. Yeah. For, for my job. um, Yeah. We have an iMac pro with 64 gigs of Ram for me to use and, uh, the 16 gig a- uh, AMD Vega graphics. So uh-huh. it's a it's a fantastic machine. And I'm really excited to see what they do with the uh, iMac Pro next year when they unveil the, <laughs> the you know, the uh, Apple Silicon version. Because I am just, if if this MacBook Pro is any indication of where they're going with the desktop class uh, professional machines, I... I would think that you'd be stupid to still own any Intel stock at this point. <laughs> I mean, I, I, and, and I really hope that Intel actually does catch up and comes with an arm based processor that is able to compete. Mm-hmm. But man, I, I just, I, I fear for their existence. I don't think they can survive this. Well, I think they'll survive just fine. There's, there's certainly plenty of Windows vendors out there that are buying their chips. So, um, you know, the Mac market has never been that huge that, I mean, they'll certainly take a hit, but. Yeah, I, I guess what I mean by that is like right now, AMD is, um, you know, you know, a good bit ahead of Intel sure. on the uh, desktop market and the Windows market. Um, and then obviously, even Microsoft is starting to look into doing their own chips for their, uh, for their surface devices. Um, I just, like I said, I mean, I want Intel to succeed. I want them to get, get their house in order because I think it's really important that we have, um, you know, competition in the market. I think it's also really important that we have a native, you know, like a natively American made chip manufacturer. because I, I think AMD's Taiwan-based, right? I'm not sure, to be honest with you. And, yeah, and sure. even Apple Silicon, I, if I'm not mistaken, they're they're made by TMCI, I think, out yeah. of Taiwan. Yeah, so, they're made. Uh, yeah, they're manufactured outside of the United States. Although they although are building I, facilities here in the United States as well. That's so. that's what I've heard because I think yeah. they're trying to pre- pre- prepare just in case Taiwan gets invaded, <laughs> and so they're trying to. You know they're trying to they're trying to build a back uh, a backup plan to make sure that they can still have a place yeah. to freely operate operate without communist party inter- um, interference. Sure, sure. So I'm curious while you were on your own because you've mentioned before you worked in Revit and you worked at some other firms that were Windows based. You were, were using a PC yourself for a while. While you were on your own, were you using a PC or a Mac? Uh, so it started out with the PC, and uh-huh. then I. I transitioned to the Mac um, over time. Um, the first, you know, like it started out as, you know, building out a Hackintosh before mm-hmm. I got the, um, so I've been playing around with that for a while on the side, just as kind of like a hobby. Um, eventually I was actually able to build a, a Hackintosh that was just a good solid machine. And um, that one I still use, it, it functions great. And I don't feel bad about it because I've spent tens of thousands of dollars with Apple, so they can suck it. <laughs> <laughs> Understandable. I mean, like, sure. Like, 
like let, let's let's just put it this way i we we've got two we've got two ipads seven iphones um i you know three macintosh you know four macintosh computers in the house um i i don't think apple's suffering no. from my one hackintosh <laughs> <laughs> not not by the one <laughs> certainly yeah exactly so you were using a pc and a mac uh what software were you using while you were on your own so when i first when i first came yeah when i first started on on my business i i used revit largely just because that's what i had already been using um at at the previous firms um and then I had a fateful project with one one on a home edition project. They wanted they wanted stone veneer, mm-hmm. and I was having a hell of a time getting the stone hatch patterns to actually work in Revit because you know you have to actually load like a PAT files and um, all that, and it was just the the client actually was laughing at me like you can't even get your, get a stone pattern to work. <laughs> and it was, it was on that day. I'm like, I'm going back to ArchiCAD because ArchiCAD is actually what I used in school because, um, because one of my professors, you know, cause he saw me using a Mac. He's like, Oh, you, you should, you should try ArchiCAD. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's when I first tried it. Um, you know, was in architecture school and just, it was just, it just worked well for me. And I was like, it was something that flowed really well. And, um, and Revit was always just so janky. I mean, it was just, it was, it always felt off. Like it felt like software programmers trying to force me to think in their way. And the thing I like about ArchiCAD is as any as any as any ArchiCAD user who's sufficiently uh, experienced with it can tell you, there's about a million ways to do everything in ArchiCAD, and it all just depends on the, the method that you like to use. Mm-hmm. So you don't. So it gives you a lot more freedom to just kind of think the way you want to and function the way you want to. And and granted, you know, if you're in a larger office, I would imagine that an ArchiCAD office, you'd probably have to, you know bring down the hammer and set standards but unlike revit where like it's literally the software that's handcuffing you and making you think in certain ways mm-hmm. whereas archicad yeah it's like i can i can do it however i want i can i can build an object out of a morph i can build it out of a a, a, a roof i can build it out of a wall a floor like i can do like whatever i want mm-hmm. i can imagine whatever world i want and create it pretty easily so what other applications or services uh, do you use typically on your Mac, especially when you were running your own business? So um, let's see, specific to the Mac. Um, I, I, I don't know if there's anything specific to the Mac that's not also available on Windows. Well, whichever, um, yeah. Necessarily. Um, so it, it was never really an issue of needing to be on Mac. It was more just, um, it was always the, it was always just the, the, the comfort level, I, you know, as, as I mentioned before, you know, the color blindness, that's not the only eye problems that I have. I also um, have a little bit of myopia and, um, and near, and, and is it farsightedness or nearsightedness? The one where you can't see stuff far away. I, I always forget. I think, that, I mean, yeah. it's, it, and it's not bad enough to like, really, you know, I don't, 
I don't necessarily have to wear glasses. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm legal to drive without them, but it's just enough that on Windows machines, especially as I've been aging in the last five to 10 years, my eyes have, you know, kind of become a lot less tolerant of the the visual shakiness on the screen. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about? Like on a Windows, because like one of the things that really annoys me is like when, when I open up Windows, um, especially if you open it up on a 4K screen, mm-hmm. oh my goodness, Windows is just a disaster on any high resolution display because it's just everything just <laughs> squishy, <laughs> tiny. And the other thing that I don't understand because it can be the same monitor. And if I hook up a Mac to it, I can, I can read the text fine. Everything's clear. There's no visual shakiness with the text, but on a windows machine, no matter what settings I set for some reason, the text just looks like it's like glimmering and shaking. And I, and I don't know if that's just the way my eyes are, but like if I don't have the retina display, if I don't have the Mac OS running on it, um, it, it hurts my eyes. So I can use a Windows machine for a little while, but it starts to just hurt after a while. Uh, I even end up, ended up getting some glasses with an anti-glare coating. That's helped a little bit, but even then, I'm way better off if I'm using a, a Mac with a yeah. retina display. I can I can last throughout the day and get my work done and it doesn't hurt my eyes at all. But yeah. on a Windows machine, I'm like an hour in and I'll be like wanting to take a sledgehammer to the computer. <laughs> so not a good thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and I and I do and I do keep one Windows machine just so that I can run Lumion and um and also occasionally there's some 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 functions that you can't do on a Mac. Um, like for example, the the Google the Google Earth imp- import uh, using RenderDoc that that was one of my that was actually my first um, my first ArchiCAD tutorial was was uh, illustrating how you can do that um, and that because RenderDoc only runs on a Windows machine you know it, it's just so it's always helpful to have a Windows machine in the house just mm-hmm. for that purpose and also you know my my boys like the game so yeah so i'm curious what other sort of maybe time tracking or accounting project management apps were you using um so mostly just uh you know s- software as a service type stuff on online so quickbooks online um and uh for time tracking i'm using harvest app which mm-hmm. um yeah that's a nice little handy uh, tracker it's like 12 bucks a month for a single person, you know, for a single user and you get to, you know, it's just a really nice handy way. And, oh, and this was something nice I found when I got the, uh, the M1, uh, you know, the Apple Silicon Mac, the Harvest app, uh, the widget is already Apple Silicon and it, it just docks into the, uh, into the status, uh, status bar up at the top. Oh, nice. So you can just click up there and start and stop your time. Yeah. It's great. It's because uh, um, before on the Intel uh, version, for some reason, it wouldn't, it wouldn't allow you to do that. Interesting. So, okay. Yeah. So what apps and equipment do you use to produce your colorblind architect uh, video blog? 
So I started out with iMovie, of course, and um, the the camera has mostly just been my my iPhone. Uh-huh. Um, when I upgraded to the 12 Pro, uh, this uh, this has been amazing. The the camera on this is so much better. Like I I, I remember going from the seven the seven plus to the uh, to the 12 Pro. And it was like instantly the video quality was like night and day better. I mean, mm-hmm. it was just amazing. And then recently I picked up a GoPro Hero 10 because uh, I, I do also like to do hiking and skiing videos. And, you know, granted, they're, they're kind of they're kind of corny, dumb, but it's just it's just a hobby that I enjoy. You know, it's like I've always loved making movies and, mm-hmm. you know, it's, 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 it's another creative outlet that allows me to you know, have, have an additional level of fun with my interaction with the two sports I love hiking and skiing. So, um, I try to do those uh, occasionally. And uh, sometimes I mix in some political commentary just because, you know, like, I don't know. I I feel like we all need to speak honestly about our opinions. I, I, I don't like the whole, I don't like the whole thing about people being quiet, you know, like, honestly, if somebody's politically opposed to what I believe, I want them to be speaking openly and honest about it because I want them to be also able to hear me speak open and honest about my ideas because I figure, you know what, if we're, if we're all talking openly and honest about our ideas, there's a chance, just a chance that maybe, maybe you think it causes you to think about something that you didn't think about before. And you realize, Oh, my worldview was, slightly off i need to make a slight adjustment because we all need to constantly improve our our thinking over the course of our lives i mean because none of us is perfect um and that's one of the that's one of the things and i I don't mean to get religious but i mean that's one of the reasons why i i still believe in um redemption through jesus christ because i i figure i i know i fall all the time i screw up all the time and I believe everybody does. And I believe everybody deserves um, forgiveness. I, I think everybody deserves a chance to um, make amends and have those old things forgotten. Because, you know, it's like, otherwise, I mean, if, imagine if you were permanently, permanently punished for something that you say for the rest of your life. Even if it was something that was kind of like you just stupidly said it, you thought it was like maybe a funny joke or maybe you just were angry at the time or, or maybe it was just you, you weren't fully informed on something. And just imagine if like then twi- the Twitter mobs turn on you and you get canceled, so to speak, like that, like that one lady, uh, uh, like what was it, Jennifer Sacco years ago, like she, she made that joke while she was on flight, you know, right before she hopped on the, uh, the, the flight to Africa, cause she was, she was doing some, uh, I think she was doing some service work. And while she was on the plane, she, you know, uh, the Twitter storm, like went, you know, you know, got all crazy. And when she landed, her boss called her and fired her. And it's like, that, no, that, that's not right. You know, it's like, she should have a chance to be able to say, Look, it was it's a stupid joke. I'm sorry for the joke. I I thought it was it, for some reason in my mind it was funny at the time, and you know, 
yeah, on on second thought, yeah, it was maybe in poor taste. You know, you shouldn't be canceled just because of a stupid joke. And and I think people need to chill out and just recognize, hey, we're all imperfect. We're all we're 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 all sinful wretches of people, <laughs> and we all need forgiveness. And that's and and I guess that's 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 kind of the political point that I I continually make in a lot of my my political commentary videos. Um, and I'm not trying to offend anybody. I just I I want people to think differently, um, and I and I want them to actually come back and you know argue with me if they feel like I'm saying something that's wrong, because I want to respond and say okay, well here. You, you, you're right on this or, hey, I disagree with you on that, but hey, we can still be friends because, like I said, I do, I do work with everybody. Well, a lot like you uh, gave Apple a second chance after they had that pink line across <laughs> your uh, PowerBook G4 for several years. That's true. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and, and frankly, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll always be a forgiving person because I just, I, yeah. So what are some of the favorite things you like about using a Mac? and other Apple devices? Retina display is number one. That's absolutely the most important thing to me. Um, the other part is just, it, it just flows. Like it, it it's, I, I, I'm still amazed because I, I just tried out the Windows 11 on Parallels. And uh-huh. just because I, I was curious to see what it was like, um, it's still a, an ungodly mess. I mean, like you go into the... <laughs> I, I I just don't understand why window why Microsoft can't figure this out. It's like, look, Apple makes it easy. All the settings are in the settings app, and they're all under a predictable like flow. You know, like it's a uniform design language, so everything's like you know what to expect when you're going into the different settings dialogues and how they're supposed to operate. But Windows, they still have like settings dialogues from windows 95 buried deep within there and you're just like uh yeah i I'm like can you can you finish your homework junior i mean like, <laughs> you, seem like you, you seem like you're trying to half-ass your way through it <laughs> yeah uh can you share one app utility or service that you find most useful one app or service that i find most useful um, probably ever since blue, ever since Bluebeam uh, ceased supporting the Mac, um, I, I had to scramble for something that would allow me to put, um, stamps on PDFs, um, specifically for submittal reviews, you know, you want to be able to stamp the submittal reviews and stuff. Uh, so I found PDF expert. Um, it's about, I think it's $80 for a perpetual license. Yeah. Sounds uh, about right. And it's great. It it runs just as smooth and quick as the preview app does, but it gives you those added tools of, um, you know, like your regular Bluebeam type tools of like being able to add stamps and stuff like that, which mm-hmm. for me, that's, that's really all I need. I don't need anything super fancy with PDF, just the stamps and the ability to mark it up red line. So, yeah. Plus they, plus they have a nice iPad version which works great with the pencil at the blue beam app on the iPad always sucked horribly because yeah. like, it would always be like choppy. Like it, like it wouldn't translate even with the Apple pencil. You'd be like, 
Bluebeam, what are you doing here? It's like, <laughs> you're, you're like stuck in the 2000s. Come on. This is, 20, this is the 2020s. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. And uh, before we move to our final part of the show, let's take a quick break. And after we'll wrap up with the 10 questions. Okay. As business owners and architects, how often do we think about our IT provider? Typically, only when things go wrong. For many of us, unfortunately, this happens too often, especially with the latest emphasis on remote work. I know I've had to deal with my fair share of IT fire drills. It's not a pleasant experience, and clearly I wasn't dealing with an IT provider like ArcIT. ArcIT is a different kind of company. They specialize in serving Mac and PC-based architecture and design firms, This means they understand your Mac-related challenges of keeping your personal and your business data separate and have experience providing solutions when certain software providers stop supporting macOS. Combine this with industry-leading response times, proactive remote hardware management, solid disaster recovery and backup solutions, and enterprise-grade security management. And yet, all of the above are just table stakes for a solid IT company. Arc IT goes a step further. They become your strategic partner when it comes to planning, budgeting, and integrating new technology into your business. All of this sounds expensive, right? Not with Arc IT. Because Arc IT is highly specialized for our industry, their pricing is on par, or in some cases, even lower than other IT providers. ArcIT is transparent and publishes its pricing on its website. Your business deserves a competent, responsive, and proactive IT partner. Reach out to Boris, ArcIT's founder and CEO, for a free consultation. Go to getarcit.com and click Work With Us. David, I appreciate you sharing your architectural and Mac journey with us. Now let's get to our final segment, the 10 questions. And the first question is, what is your favorite word? My favorite word. Uh, that's, that's, a, that's a tough one. Um, probably kamangha mangha, uh, just because it's fun to say. It's a Filipino word. Um, it comes from the Tagalog language, and it literally, it literally translates as marvelous. Kamangha mangha. It's just fun to say. What's your least favorite word? Taxes. <laughs> <laughs> what turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? I, so I, I hate, I know this is probably meant as like a, uh, as like a short, quick answer, you know, type of question, but um, to be quite honest, uh, this is something I've thought a lot about, you know, over the years. And I found found to keep myself, you know, creatively strong. Exercise um, is one of the biggest things. Uh, going out for a run, um, going skiing, taking a hike, um, whatever it is that you know gets the gets the juices flowing, gets the body moving. Uh, there's something about that that frees the mind and allows you to think more clearly. And when I, when I do that, a lot of times, whatever creative problem or challenge I'm going through, 
a lot of times the answer will actually pop up in my head while I'm out on a run. You know, like I'll literally, oh, and then when I get back, I'm like racing to try to draw it so I could like capture that mental image that popped up. And a lot of times those those moments are the ones where some some of my better ideas come from. Um, the the one exception to that, I would say um, that uh, one time I was designing a mosque for my uh, my Muslim client that I was mentioning earlier. Um, they they were building a mosque for their uh, for their congregation of you know like Kuwaiti uh, expats here in Utah, mm-hmm. and uh, so as we were going through the design process, a lot of times I'd have my iPad with me in church uh, on Sunday, and in the middle of you know, services, like these ideas would pop up into my head and I'd sketch them out on Morfolio on the iPad. And those ended up being the ideas that actually drove the design and actually turned it into um, a really cool project. Um, And it's one of those things where it was like, it it was never meant to be, I, I don't think it was ever meant to be anything super fancy or anything like that. And the budget was really tight. Cause I mean, here they were like, it's a pretty small community and they had to buy an old, uh, they had to buy an old uh, massage parlor and convert that into a mosque because that that's what they could afford on the budget that they had for their project. And um, we were able to do some things creatively with the, with the designs that came up to me, like while I was in church <laughs> that, uh, and it was like, that was the only time that's ever happened because every other project I've ever worked on, it's always like on the exercise, but for that one specific one, and I think it was because it was more of a spiritually based project. It was more, fo- more focused on helping to bring people to God um, that I think that's where being in that mode of thinking also in, in a similar situation, even though you know, obviously, as a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we don't segregate male and female. You know, we sit together and, yeah. you know, it's it's a bit different, you know, obviously. But it was just interesting to me that that, that connection was made there. And I I don't know. It's, that was probably way, more, way longer of an answer than you were wanting. <laughs> That's okay. I appreciate <laughs> you sharing. Yeah. What turns you off? What turns me off? Um generally speaking uh i the aforementioned cancel culture really bothers me um i get really bothered by um people thinking that communism is a good idea um i it it bothers me a lot that people don't do the research they don't study the history um my wife grew up in romania so uh for us um it's a very sensitive subject um and so it, it kind of actually, it, it almost, it, it's almost more of a trigger than a turnoff, but like, like actually gets me angry when I see people wearing Che Guevara t-shirts or CCCP t-shirts. And it's just like, dude, you don't know what the hell you're talking about wearing that shirt. And you are offending everybody who has suffered under those despotic regimes who terrorize and brutally just you know, like abused millions of people and killed millions of people. And so it's like, that's one of my biggest turn turnoffs. What sound or noise do you love? 
probably well it's a combination um i i love i love be- i love beautiful music um so a really good song can just make me just make my day like so much happier I especially love the piano guys uh they're if you've ever watched any of their uh, YouTube videos, uh, they're they're just fantastic, and they they just have such a great sound. Um, but I also love really good cl- classical music. But you know, I also I also like to jam out to some Metallica occasionally. You know, so <laughs> so I, I'm all over the place. I mean, like musically, and then um, but probably one of my favorite sounds is like y- you know you know when you're on a hike and you're in the mountains and you stop for a moment. And you just sit there and listen, and there's that subtle rustling of the the leaves mm-hmm. and the occasional bird chirp that that's that's my favorite. What sound or noise do you hate? Um, anytime any politician starts talking, yeah <laughs> 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 but um but like. Probably the one, probably the one that actually physically like causes convulsions would be like any kind of really high screeching noise, like finger fingernails on the chalkboard. What's your favorite curse word? Oh, this is always a tough one, um, but I'm probably just going to go with the probably. Prob- mm. Let's just go with ass because uh, that's uh, that's biblical. It's safe. <laughs> my kids don't want. I, I'm I'm not allowed to say it in front of my kids, but it's it's probably the most culturally acceptable. And you know, it's uh, I don't know. It means donkey, and donkeys are actually kind of a cool animal. <laughs> okay, <laughs> what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Well, I think I'm kind of doing that right now, uh, you know, attempting uh, developing. Um, when I was a, one of my favorite video games growing up was SimCity. And uh, I always I, I always wanted to, you know, drive the development of things, you know, build build out things. And, you know, as, a, as an architect, it's a lot of fun, but you're not making the choices. It's your client that's making the choices. You're kind of just helping them make the choices. But as a developer architect, um, the fun thing about being at the job that I'm at is I actually help. I actually get to see the, see the parcels when we first find them as available uh, pieces of land and go, you know, what would look good there. Mm. And, and that is, that's, Oh, it's so much fun. I mean, just, just the, just the world that you get to imagine. It's, it's, it's fun. What profession would you not like to do? Anything, the medical professions. I, I mean, I, I've designed enough, I've designed enough medical and dental facilities to know that I would not be happy in those professions. So, although I do like designing them, I just don't I don't like the idea of having to like touch people's insides. <laughs> if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? That one's easy. 
Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Excellent. David, I'd like to thank you for joining me on this episode of Inside the Apple Studio. Please let the listeners know where they can find you online and the best way to contact you. Yeah, so the aforementioned Colorblind Architect uh, on YouTube. Um, I do also have that on Rumble. Um, but uh, yeah, primarily YouTube's the way to find that. And then, you know, if you if you are on Facebook, I do have a Colorblind Architect page. Um, yeah, it's it's open for anybody to follow and send send in messages. And so I'd be happy to interact with people and discuss ideas with them. Um, and definitely, if anybody out there is interested in maybe coming on coming on my uh, YouTube channel sometime for a, a conversation, I'd love to do that too. I've never done an interview show uh, other than this one and my brother-in-law's podcast channel, which uh, his podcast channel is called Elders Rising. But it's a little bit more um, it's a little bit more specific to um, members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, specifically, um, you know, we, we call our adult men in the church elders um, and, you know, kind of like the, the, the missionaries that they're going around, they, they wear the tag elder. So that that title doesn't go away in the church when you when you finish up with your mission, you just are no longer referred to as elder, but you're still part of the elders quorum, so to speak. Um, so the idea, the idea of their podcast is to, you know, it's kind of like a call to arms spiritually saying, come on, people wake up, stop sleeping. We need to, we need to stand up and speak truth and, and make sure that, um, make sure that we're fighting for righteousness and goodness, which I know sounds sounds kind of religious, and if you have any atheist viewers, I'm not trying to turn people off like that. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm hap- I, I happily discuss with athe- atheists just as well because I mean, you know, I totally understand where they're coming from. I just, I just uh, know what I've felt, what I've experienced uh, spiritually in my life, and I can't deny the existence of God, um, and so. While scientifically, I can I can say, yeah, that's kind of weird, a belief in God. <laughs> but it's like, I can't deny it. So it's like, at the same time, it's like, yeah. Well, David, I appreciate you sharing your thoughts and your passions about what you believe in. It's been an interesting conversation. I appreciate you sharing. Well, thank you, Neil. Thank you for listening to Inside the Apple Studio. I'd like to thank Monograph and Arc IT for their support. You can also support the show by telling a friend and show them how to follow it in their favorite podcast player. If you have comments on the show, you can find me on Twitter at N-P-A-N-N or at Apple for Arc. That's Apple, F-O-R-A-R-C-H. You can also comment on the Apple for Architects Facebook page and join the Apple for Architects Facebook group. Inside the Apple Studio is a production of Apple for Architects at appleforarchitects.com. So I'm curious, what other sort of... Oh, let me know when you're ready. Uh, Yeah, I'm just trying to figure out why is it... Oh, there we go. Because it had had me on the big screen and I was like, oh, that... that, (laughs) I don't don't need to see that. That's disturbing. I don't want to be talking to myself. Right, right. (laughs) That's what I I do on my YouTube videos. (laughs) (laughs)